Our first uh, scripture reading of the morning is from Matthew's Gospel, the second chapter. It's the story of the wise men. So this is after the birth of of Jesus. Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. The time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chests, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, uh, even though it is a Thanksgiving weekend, Christmas is less than a month away. Cue the music. Dun, dun, dun. Black Friday has come and gone. Cyber Monday is tomorrow. So let me ask you, is all your shopping done? Are all your holiday plans firmed up? When is the tree going up? I don't know. You don't know? (laughs) I bet your mom knows. (laughs) How many batches of cookies do you have yet to make for next month? Do you know which service you'll be attending on Christmas Eve? Are you planning to come here at 10 o'clock on Sunday, December 25th, Christmas Day? They pay me to ask. <laughs> well, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. No matter how hard you may try, you will not, I repeat, not be able to stop Christmas from coming. It will be here before we know it, and there is nothing that we can do about it. Now, the Grinch is someone who tried to do something about it. I am uh, launching us into my Advent sermon series on the classics of Christmas, and today we're looking at how the Grinch stole Christmas. It was written by Dr. Seuss as a story for children in 1957, and then it was made into a cartoon in 1966. Actor Boris Karloff did the narration, and the same voice that was famous for Tony the Tiger telling us that Frosted Flakes are what? Hey, pretty good. (laughs) That same voice recorded the song, You're a Mean One, Mr. Grinch. 
Now, the story of how the Grinch stole Christmas is about a crotchety, ugly green creature with termites in his smile and garlic in his soul who lives in a cave on the side of a mountain. He hates Christmas. He hates the Christmas season and all of the noise that the people make in Whoville at Christmas time. We're going to dim the lights and roll the clip. Every Who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot, but the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. The Grinch hated Christmas the whole Christmas season. Ah, please don't ask why. No one quite knows the reason. It could be perhaps that his shoes were too tight. It could be his head wasn't screwed on just right. But I think that the most likely reason of all may have been that his heart was two sizes too small. But whatever the reason his heart or his shoes, he stood there on Christmas Eve hating the Who's. Staring down from his cave with a sour, grinchy frown at the warm, lighted windows below in their town. For he knew every who down in Whoville beneath was busy now, hanging a Hollywood wreath. And they're hanging their stockings, he snarled with a sneer. Tomorrow is Christmas. It's practically here. Then he growled with his Grinch fingers, nervously drumming. I must find some way to keep Christmas from coming. Well, do you remember what he does? He makes a red Santa suit. He puts some antlers on his little dog. And down they go to Whoville to steal Christmas to stop it from coming. The first house that the Grinch stops at is little Cindy Lou Who's house. And he goes inside and he steals all the presents, all the stockings, all the decorations, and all the food. And then Cindy Lou Who wakes up and catches the Grinch stealing the Christmas tree. And the Grinch has to quickly think of a lie. He tells her that there was a light out on the tree and that he was taking it all out to be fixed and that he would bring it back later. And so believing the lie, little Cindy Lou Who goes back to bed and the Grinch proceeds to take everything, including the log on the fire. And the one speck of food that he left in the house was a crumb that was even too small for a mouse. Then he did the same thing to the other Who's houses, leaving crumbs much too small for the other Who's mouses. It was quarter past dawn, all the Who's still abed, all the Who's still a snooze when he packed up his sled. Packed it up with their presents, the ribbons, the wrappings, the tags and the tinsel, the trimmings, the trappings. 3,000 feet up, up the site of Mount Crumpet, he rode with his load to tip top to dump it. When we look at our a scripture reading today from Matthew chapter 2, King Herod is the Grinch of the Bible. King Herod also tried to stop Christmas from coming. You already heard the sinister scheming and plotting that King Herod had as a result of his conversation with the wise men, pretending to want to pay homage to the boy king. And now King Herod is going to carry out his evil intentions. 
And so I want to invite you once again to join me in our second scripture, also from Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 16. Now, after they had left, that means the wise men, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Once again, would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Lord God, we've heard this story many, many times, but today we pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, illuminate the passage for us so that it might be revealed to us anew and afresh with new truth and give us the light and life and love of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, in the uh, nightmarish aftermath to those uh, dreamy stories that we're much more familiar and comfortable with of shepherds and angels, we find that instead of being able to settle down with a newborn, Joseph is awakened in the middle of the night by a voice which says, wake up, Joseph. You got to head for the border. Herod's goon squad is after your baby. The only safe place for you is in Egypt. And so you might imagine a groggy Joseph stumbling out of bed and trudging out to the barn, saddling up a, a drowsy donkey as he gets ready to leave with Mary and Jesus. They, they giddy up off on a journey that is going to be over twice as long as the one that they have just taken from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, just to be clear, it was not for the faint of heart to be a couple, a couple with a newborn braving the blowing sands of the Sinai Desert and what scholars believe was going to be about a 10-day journey. Next month, some of you will be braving the roads and the traffic as you travel to visit with family and friends at Christmas time. Some folks have already done that this weekend for Thanksgiving. None of that will compare to the trip that Mary and Joseph had to take. And as they're making their great escape, they're seeing these posters tacked up all over town on trees, on telephone poles, in the post office. It's the picture of a baby. And the poster says, most wanted. Now, what's interesting to me is that Herod is not, repeat, not looking to bring this child to justice. And here's the reason. Herod is terrified of this baby. One day, a little girl caught her father by surprise as they got involved in a rather impromptu question and answer conversation. 
Little girl asked her daddy, Daddy, are you afraid of the dark? And that father said, no, honey, I, I'm not afraid of the dark. And the little girl asked, well, Daddy, are you afraid of wild animals? And that father with paternal pride said, no, honey, I'm not afraid of wild animals. Well, then, Daddy, are you afraid of long, hairy, woolly spiders? And this father, feeling more invincible with every answer, said, no, honey, I am not afraid of long, hairy, woolly spiders. Little girl paused for a moment. He said, well, then, Daddy, you're not afraid of anyone except Mommy, are you? <laughs> well, Herod wasn't afraid of anyone or anything. He was powerful, wicked. Even his own servants feared him. In fact, there is a time that one of his servants found Herod unconscious in his bathtub. He thought Herod had died there, and so he went out to toil the other servants, and they all laughed and cheered. They started to party. It was something like the scene out of the Wizard of Oz. Ding dong, Herod is dead. Well, it turns out that Herod had only fallen asleep. So can you imagine the faces of those poor servants as they see their leader standing in the doorway, dripping wet, as they're high-fiving each other over the reports of his demise? It is said that Herod even had his own wife and three sons killed because he saw them as a threat to his throne. Herod provoked fear to his employees, to his family, to everyone he met. And yet, and yet, he is scared stiff of this baby. Well, maybe Herod the Great, or as one child who portrayed him in a Christmas drama, said with a frightening scowl, I'm Harold the Grape. <laughs> Maybe old sour grapes, Herod exposed the truth that we would just as soon not have to admit about ourselves. We're scared stiff of this baby too. Oh, we'll celebrate his birth. We'll put up the tree and decorations and lights around the house. We'll exchange gifts. We'll come to church. We will even call ourselves Christians. But if that baby wants to sit on the throne of my life, that baby says, I got to love someone I don't even particularly like. That baby wants to impose on me all these demands on how I'm supposed to really live. Well, then I'm not sure I want that baby around any more than Herod did. Herod's issue was that he was a control freak. His whole agenda in life was to get a hold of that throne, and the only way they were going to get it back was to pry it from his cold, dead fingers. Matthew 2.13 says, Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Friends, like it or not, there is a Herod inside of you and me. Now, we may not go around menacing the Lord as if we really could, but instead, we'll say things like, you know, I'm not really very comfortable having someone else sit on the throne of my life. I'm not going to relinquish my throne to anyone else. The problem with that kind of thinking is that this baby that we are talking about is God. 
Have you ever had a word that you can't ever seem to spell right on your computer? I mean, you know how to spell it, but when you type it, it comes out wrong. And since you spell it right, autocorrect is of no help. For me, it's the word manger. And maybe it's because I only have to type it once a year. But whenever I type the word manger, it always comes out manager, away in a manager. <laughs> they laid him in the manager. They wrapped him in bands of cloth and laid him in a manager. But God is so good. God even lets my computer typos become some pretty good theology because this baby came to be the manager. This baby is the manager of life. We see that in the prophecies that are fulfilled in this chapter from the Old Testament in Isaiah and Micah and Jeremiah and Hosea. All of them take turns in helping us see the situation in which Mary and Joseph probably felt that, that life was totally out of control. But the reality is that God was supremely in control. And so what looks like a little boy being driven away by a mighty tyrant is one in which Herod actually seals his own doom by fulfilling the very prophecies of this baby being the Messiah. And so as this baby is fleeing away from danger to Egypt, he's moving with all the power of the mighty hand of God who holds the universe in his hands. Oh, friends, celebrate the coming of this baby, and he will flood your life with Christmas joy. Call this baby king, and you are submitting yourself to being under new management. Obey God, and you synchronize your life with his and his plan for your will and life for all ages. Now, toward the end of the Dr. Seuss story, the Grinch hears the people of Whoville singing down below, and he has a change of heart, and he brings back all the Christmas things that he had stolen. We're going to dim the lights. Once again, roll the clip. The sound sounded glad. Every Whoville in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. He puzzled and puzzled till his puzzle of a saw. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. I know you'd rather watch the cartoon than listen to me. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Friends, Christmas means a whole lot more. 
means that the baby born in Bethlehem, baby who terrorized a vindictive tyrant named Herod, is the savior of the world. There's a legend that I just love. It's a story about a journey that Mary and Joseph took with Jesus on the way to Egypt. And as they walk along, one night, weary from their trip, they decide to seek shelter inside of a cave. And once they're inside the cave, a tiny spider, sensing something significant about the child, decides that she wants to do something for the baby. Because it was cold outside, this tiny spider decides to spin a web across the mouth of the cave, creating a kind of curtain. And later that night, after the spider finished spinning her gift, along comes Herod's death squads right to the very mouth of that same cave. And so thinking there might be a child inside, they approach the entrance, but they see the spider's web covered with frost as it glistens brilliantly in the moonlight across the opening of the cave. And so they figure there must not be a child inside that cave, otherwise those who went in would have torn down the spider web. And so Herod's henchmen bypass the cave and leave the holy family in peace. And that is why the story goes, we decorate our Christmas trees with tinsel. For that shimmering tinsel reminds us of the spider's web that covered the, the cave as it glistened with frost in the moonlight and protected Mary, Joseph, and Jesus on the way to Egypt. Friends, as I close, let, let's weave a web of protection around Christmas this year. Don't run this baby off. He came for you and me. Embrace him with all of the joy of a child opening up gifts on Christmas morning. And then last, just remember that what seems like a fragile web that we weave is really as strong as the arms of God. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. God, we're thankful that no Grinch, no King Herod, nothing could stop Christmas from coming. Nothing can interrupt or disrupt the plans that you have foreordained. For God, you so loved the world that you sent your son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Thank you for that promise. Thank you for that truth. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to be the savior of all the world. May we embrace him as we go through all the hectic, frantic planning and parting and busyness of this holiday season and not push aside the real reason why we celebrate this time and that Jesus is Lord. He's come in human flesh and blood. He's come to bring us hope and healing and salvation in him. May that bring us hope. May that bring us joy. May that bring us peace. May that bring us Christ-like love in all we do and say. For we pray in Christ's name, amen.